as has been announced already today, how joyous and how thrilling it is to be able to come together for the reason we are this morning, to offer our heartfelt praise and worship unto God. It is good to see this number with us today, both our membership and visitors alike. We hope that our worship service will be such that all who are here can truthfully be able to be bettered and encouraged and edified in those things consistent with the Word of God. You may notice that the title of the lesson today has that number one at the end of it. We're going to begin at least a brief series this morning on the family of God. The family of God, part one. As we develop it, admittedly, it'll be a fairly brief series. But I hope it will be something that will touch each of us as we reflect upon the way in which those concepts are presented in the New Testament. I'd like to begin with a introductory slide as typically I like to do it and it does so in the following way there's something exceedingly special about the concept of a family isn't it amazing that in the word of God it's true that as Christians we are the servants of God first Peter chapter 2 verse 16 calls us that in first Corinthians 1 verse 1 we are the saints of God no question about that but you know, those aren't the only descriptives that are used, for there are a number of passages that describe those individuals, you and I, not just as servants, not just as saints, but as family, members of a family. And so it is that you and I will devote a brief series to thinking about the family of God. Sometimes we sing Song 855 in the book. I thought I would at least read some of the sentiments of that, book, of that song again. We're part of the family that's been born again. Part of the family whose love knows no end. For Jesus has saved us and made us His own. Now we're part of the family that's on its way home. And when a brother meets sorrow, we all feel his grief. When he's passed through the valley, we all feel relief. Together in sunshine, together in rain, together in victory through His precious name. And though some go before us, we'll all meet again. Just inside the city as we enter in, there'll be no more parting. With Jesus we'll be together forever, God's family. You see, the idea of the family is really a strongly biblical idea of God's family. Let's devote this opening lesson to reflecting on some basic considerations of that. And as we do it, it will of course prepare us for the succeeding lesson or lessons that shall come shortly. First of all, much of this lesson today really will surround the glory that attaches to God's family. It is a special family, one reason of which is it's so glorious. In fact, let's begin the lesson then like this. The patriarch of this family is a glorious God. Now that's going to ultimately mean a great deal. And so let's devote this entire slide to cementing that appreciation in our heart. The God who is the founder of this family, the one who oversees it, the one who directs it in every way, He's glorious. And that's going to have some implications for all of us shortly, but note this. It's true, isn't it, that not all families on earth are particularly glorious. 
Sometimes they're a bit shady. Sometimes there are things that take place in families that we're not proud of, even if we're a part of that family. But you know, with God's family, the one who oversees it is so incredibly glorious. You may also jump a little bit about the middle of that and notice that word glory attaches to majesty. It has the idea of excellence within it. It has the idea of splendor and radiance. God and His family are truly spectacular. One of the reasons I thought that could be an encouraging thing to you and I to think about a lesson like this one, we're part of something pretty special. If we're part of God's family, we're part of something pretty special and pretty glorious. I use those examples near the top of the slide. There are even some families in the Bible that weren't particularly glorious. What about Hosea? That first of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, his wife was a prostitute. And after she married him, she ultimately chose to go back to that style of life at least for a while. Don't you know that hurt Hosea badly when his wife chose to behave like that? Don't you know that that caused him many a sleepless night? Well, sometimes our families do things we're not proud of. But you know, in God's family, we need to understand that the one who oversees it is such a glorious God. As you and I step beyond that, at the bottom of that slide, the father of our family, this family of God, is such a glorious God. That means He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of appreciating the splendor, the radiance, the majesty that is Him. Don't we read in the Bible how holy He is? No wonder some of these verses come before us. I'd like to impress you with one thing the Word of God so marvelously shares. I've used the word family already several times. Are you aware that that word occurs one time in the New Testament? Once. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 3? Let's note how it's used and those that are part of that family. One word, one time the word family occurs and this is it. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14, it reads like this. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and help and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God." There's the only usage of the word family in the New Testament. And you'll notice, again in verse 15, that reference is made to the family in heaven and earth. God's family. Are you thrilled to be a part of God's family? I hope that you are. And if anybody in this audience is not, I hope before we finish today, you're going to be thrilled at the thought of becoming one as soon as you possibly can. Because the benefits, the blessings, and the rewards are literally out of this world. But to say that perhaps differently, we're going to build up to some of those appreciations, and some of them may occur really in the next lesson. But for today, 
this understanding of the glory of God's family becoming a fact because of the glory of God. Let's now look at several reasons for that glory. Several truths that the Bible reveals to you and me as explanations, features if you please, of why this family is so glorious. Reason number one is this, its origin. Now you and I know today that a physical family comes about, of course, as individuals proceed through, through the avenue of their life. Perhaps a man and a woman marry and then children are born. How did God's family come about and when did it come about? Would you start this by appreciating its origin? There would perhaps be a feature of this that may appear unusual. I would ask you to consider Ephesians 3, verse number 10 and 11. It's that same chapter we read from just a moment ago. Backing up to verse number 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Among the truths that are set before you and me are these. There was an eternal purpose. Did you notice that the consequence of this was going to be the family of God? We just read that, but yet it was in the very appreciation of the mind of God. Verse 11 says, eternally. Even before He created this universe, even before He created the earth, even before He created humankind on that earth, He already knew in the foreknowledge of His understanding that there was going to be a family and it'd be His family. Would you please appreciate with me that the very origin of the church far predates the beginning of this universe. It was in the mind of God from the very distant recesses of eternity. Look at some of these additional verses. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, "...according as He hath chosen us..." That's us, you and I, Christians, He has chosen us... In Him, before the foundation of the world. Christian, when did God choose you? Not at the time you were in your mother's womb. Not at the time you were literally born. He chose you before the foundation of the world. I hope you feel special, Christian. Not because of anything innate to you, but because of the fact God loved you. And the fact that He sent His Son to die for you, and He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world was ever laid. The Christian life is glorious. And this family of which we're a member is a glorious family, one reason of which is because of its origin. Let's add to that this appreciation. In 2 Timothy 1, verse number 9, later on as Paul would write to Timothy, he shared this thought, this impressive one. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now that phrase is virtually identical to the one we had noted earlier. But doesn't it cause you and I to consider beautifully and amazingly that we as His family were chosen and selected. 
one last thing. In that opening part, I hope you'll be impressed with what this family also sets forth. I read it in Ephesians 3.10 a moment ago, but maybe it's time to emphasize it a bit more carefully. It says, "...to the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God." I'd like to ask a question. How do angels know of God's wisdom? How do those other creatures in the heavenly realm know about God's wisdom? And what's more, how do they appreciate it in the grandest and most splendid brilliance of all of it? On the first consideration, you and I might think that's a foolish question. Those angels are in the very presence of God. Can't they appreciate His wisdom immediately by, by conversation with Him? That's not what Paul said. Paul said they appreciate the splendor of God's wisdom because of you and me. When they look upon God's family, you and I, that's how they appreciate, at least in the grandest understanding, the wisdom of God. I hope you're impressed with that. There are heavenly creatures watching you and me on a daily basis, how we live, what we do, the kind of individuals we are, and they say that's part of God's family. And they appreciate the splendor and wisdom of God because of that. May you and I never lose sight of the fact that God's family is a glorious thing, not the least of which because of its origin, that eternal character in which it was in the very mind of God. But may I ask you to notice, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that it would be this way. In Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, the appreciation of that marvelous family highlighted at least in an Old Testament way I might suggest that that does bring us to reason number two. Not only is that glorified character because of its origin, but it also touches the way it was established. I mentioned a moment ago that that family of God existed in the distant recesses of eternity in the mind of God, but that didn't mean that that family was actually in existence then, only its concept. When was the family actually started? That brings us to point number two. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the inspired writer pointed out there that through Jesus, there was to be this understanding that individuals would have the power to become sons of God. Please note the phrase, sons of God. Again, not just saints, not just servants, Sons, as I stand before this audience today, I see lots of children of God. Now, I hope that that phrase never loses its significance to us. I've already said this in the lesson, but please note, you're not just a servant. You're not just a saint. Though those things are valuable, you are a son or a daughter of God if you're a Christian. That suggests a great number of things, not the least of which, you're part of His family. Now, ultimately, we're going to find many consequences and how sweet they're going to be. But that's a glorified thought, don't you think? Point number two, notice that to become sons of God, 
There was a time when nobody really could become a son of God because there was a time this family began. In fact, is it not now true? And let me borrow the wording of Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. Please note the specificity of this. You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Please note with care, you're the children of God by faith. Faith in who? Faith in Christ. Before Jesus was ever born, there was at this family. Before He came to earth, there was not the possibility of being a part of this family. But after Christ came and put in place that mechanism, that plan by which one could become a part of that family, that family has been in existence. Back to the passage. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There comes then a point in life when an individual, perhaps man or woman, boy or girl, you realize that you're in sin. You're alienated from the greatness and the consequence of the love of God. When you are baptized, when you are immersed beneath this surface of water, of course, that follows your belief and your repentance and your confession. But as you then come forth from that watery grave, you are a member of the family of God. Declared so not by the preacher, not by the elders. Declared so because of the Word of God. And God welcomes you into His family. Now, you and I appreciate that again when a little baby is born. That baby enters, if you please, into its earthly family. Well, so too it is. This is a birth as well. It's a birth spoken of by Nicodemus, or to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Didn't Jesus say, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven? And then two verses later, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This too is a birth this spiritual birth in which one enters this family. As you can now well imagine, those points lead us directly to the blood of Christ. Because there was a time spoken of in Acts 20 verse 28 in which Paul addressed the elders of the church in Ephesus and to them he said, Take heed to yourselves and to the church over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. That church was bought. This family of which you and I are a part, it was bought with the blood of Christ. That blood that Jesus shed at Calvary, that blood that poured forth from the wounds due to the nails, that blood that came from His head as they placed a crown of thorns upon it, that blood that came from His back as they scourged it, that blood, you see, purchased the family that you and I are a part of. Oh, how glorious that family then is. Surely it's wise then to appreciate one last thing on that slide. 1 Peter 1 verses 19 to 21 highlight that it's through the blood of Christ you and I are redeemed. Christian friend, though you were at once baptized, as long as you walk in the light... 
His blood constantly cleanses you from sin. Now, if you're not walking in the light, His blood's not cleansing you. 1 John 1 verse 7. It is a matter of great intrigue and interest, isn't it? Then this family that you and I can enjoy being a part of, how glorious it is because, first, it's origin, and secondly, it's establishment. But what about thirdly? What else would be a good reason to keep in mind relative to its glory? May I offer the thought of its mission? I suppose it's entirely true that you can think about earthly families have a mission. Now, maybe you and I have never taken the time to write it down. If you do much research on the Internet, you actually can find there are some physical families that have a mission statement. So the dad and the mom and maybe the children, they will get together around the kitchen table at some point and they will construct a mission descriptive of their family and what they're all about. Maybe the mission statement might say something like, it is the mission of this family to always live in harmony with those things that are of God and to be the best citizens that we can possibly be, not only of the spiritual kingdom of God, but of uh, the earthly nation of which we're a part. I mean, that would be a fair mission statement. May I say to you, the mission statement of God's family is also well presented in the Word of God. What are we all about? As a member of God's family, what am I to do? Well, did you note the following statement? It comes from the same chapter, Ephesians 3. Verse 21 reads it like this. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now you might keep in mind that in verse 15, this group of people was called His family. And notice, some of them were in heaven. Now that included, admittedly, those elements and those features in the heavenly realm. But in verse number 21, it's the church that's under description. And it is there said, Unto Him, that is unto God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You and I must bring glory to God. Listen to me. As Christians, our sole purpose is to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what this family is all about. That's what you and I do on a daily basis, not just when we come on Sunday morning and not just on Wednesday night. Every day, our, our job, our task, our blessed opportunity is to direct glory to God through Jesus Christ. We do that by how we talk, where we go, how we interact with others. We do that by what we choose to do and what we choose not to do. It's a beautiful consideration, isn't it? You know, in that sense, it's much like the physical family of which we're a part. For instance, I'll use myself as an example. I'm not a baby just when I visit my parents for the holidays. I'm a baby every day of the year. And what I do reflects on that name that my dad gave me. And what I choose not to do will either choose to bolster that name or tear it down. 
And we all know that you can tear down a family's name in a matter of moments. It doesn't take long. Well, isn't it so that we're a part of God's family as Christians? And as such, we desire, in fact, our heart beats to bring glory to God, who's our Father, and to do it through Jesus Christ, our elder brother. Isn't it a fascinating thing then to note that we have a message that permits us to do this? In Romans 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, you and I, as those that are part of God's family, we too are those who have this great treasure of the gospel. We've obeyed it, and we're delighted to think about the blessings it's brought to us. It is for that reason I would invite you to notice both Hebrews 2 verse 10 as well as 2 Timothy 2 verse 10. Both things state something rather remarkable about this family. The Hebrews passage identifies there is the captain of our, of our salvation. Of course, that's Jesus. But as our captain, we follow Him. He's our leader. We go where He tells us to go. We do what He tells us to do. He is the captain of our salvation. In the same way that a ship's captain directs the ship, directing it, hopefully, to a safe destination, so too the captain of our salvation points us, leading us ever so lovingly to the place that is our eternal abode. A family, all right. May I ask that we then think about that third point, the mission of this family. We're destined for eternal salvation. Now that alone's thrilling. Our physical families can't offer that, but God's family does. What about point four? Now, so far we've learned these three elements of the glorified nature of this family, but notice there's a fourth one to come. I want you to think about yourself as a member of God's family. So far we've cast a spotlight on God. But what about you and me as members of this family? Although more verses could have been selected, I would invite us to think rather interestingly about 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm only going to read really one verse of that chapter, verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I don't want you as a Christian to ever have an inferiority complex. God loves you and you're special. Now based on that, look at this verse. There are several things stated about you and me as members of God's family. First, you're a chosen generation. God chose you. Secondly, a royal priesthood. You're royalty. You know, there are times that we give some appreciation to individuals on earth that are royalty, like the royal family in Great Britain, 
or the royal family in Norway or Spain or Sweden. You and I are royalty if we're part of God's family. Not only that, it says a royal priesthood. Now that priesthood is such that, notice, that takes us back to the Old Testament. There were those members of the tribe of Levi. They were the priests. And remember, the high priest also came out of that family, specifically the family of Aaron. Those priests were very special indeed. They officiated over the various things of the tabernacle and temple. Well, notice in the New Testament era, you and I, as members of God's family, are the priests. Look at what's next. A peculiar people. Now, that word peculiar, it seems to me, doesn't really do justice to the Greek text. That word peculiar means we have been possessed by God. He owns us. Now, would you consider that with me? As a part of God's family... We're His possession. He owns us. Notice again, that means we're in His family. Perhaps one more thing. You'll notice at the bottom that in regard to these attributes of God's family, it would seem to me entirely worthy to note Hebrews 11 verse 38. It says something rather special about you and me as a part of this family. And it reads like this of whom the world was not worthy. To give us an impression as to the grandeur of being a part of the family of God, I would ask that you think that the world isn't worthy of what that family conveys. Now today, as you and I have looked one by one at these four elements of the glorified character of that family, only one more to come and the lesson will be yours. The fifth and final lesson is this one. And although we'll develop this one in a bit more detail in the next lesson, it would be remiss not to highlight it now, at least in passing. The destiny of this family. Where is this family headed? Now we know upon earth our families will scatter and sometimes people can live very far apart. But there's something incredible about the destiny of God's family. May I highlight it like this? This family is destined for eternal glory. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Peter said it like this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. That's reading through verse 5 of 1 Peter 1. But perhaps you and I can clearly see this family has a reservation, reserved in heaven for you. Now, being part of God's family is that exquisite. It's that royal. It's that fantastic. We have a destiny. It's not something that exists upon this earth. It's far better, far greater, far more worthy than that. And so those passages lead us to verses like these. It's maybe one of the most well-known verses in the book of John. Let not your heart be troubled.
Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, ye may be also. This family has a destination, a mansion. Perhaps the word rooms is better suited, but at least we can say plenty of occupancy for those members of the family. Maybe one final thing on that slide. Our study has been about the glory of this family, and the book of Revelation describes heaven in such a glorified way. In Revelation 5.13, for example, reference is made there to all the heavenly host in exquisite glory, exclaiming toward God to the grandeur and greatness of what He's made in that family. Surely today we then can close this lesson by asking some rather immediate questions of ourselves. God's family is glorious, so terribly glorious. For the reasons we've studied today, God is the originator of it, He's the one, and He is glorious. And then all these points, its establishment, its origin, its mission, the characteristics of its members and its destiny... Are you a member of the family? Are you a faithful member of the family? If there's someone in this audience and you've never become a member of that family and you know that Jesus died for you and you know that you're a sinner and you know what the plan of salvation is, then you know enough to become a member of that family. It requires that you believe in Jesus with all of your heart Repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized. And today we'd be delighted to help you and assist you. But may I also say, if you once were a member of that family, and maybe you wore the name Christian with proudness, but maybe that isn't true anymore. You've lived in such a way that, quite frankly, you're an outcast of the family. You really haven't been a faithful part of it for some time. Well, you know God still loves you. And you know He wants you back, but you know the decision rests with you. You've got to repent of those sins and confess them and invite us as, as members of the family to pray on your behalf, and we would be honored to do it. But today, that decision rests with you. I hope you'll want to be a part of that glorified family of God again. And if we could help you, this moment of invitation is extended. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing this song. The song inviting you to come. Won't you do it now while together we stand and while we sing?